This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 515. And you're listening to The Daniel Glass Show, only on Drummer's Resource. This is it, right here. Uh-huh. Then you gotta add some with a little trick. Ah, ah, you'll be swinging. Uh-huh. Right. It's The Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource, offering a deeper look into Daniel's unique take on music, drumming, and life. Philosophy, motivation, musical deconstructions, and conversations with influential voices in the music industry. Hey everybody, Daniel Glass here, once again welcoming you to another episode of The Daniel Glass Show, only on Drummer's Resource. Uh, I apologize for a couple of things up front. Number one, I have been traveling a lot the last few weeks, so I've gotten off my regular podcast schedule, so you haven't heard from me in a few weeks, and uh, so sorry for that. Uh, You're supposed to be regular when you make podcasts, like religiously, and well, what can I say? I'm doing too many things at all times. The second reason I want to apologize in advance is that, uh, actually some good news, I moved. Um... Not really very far from where I was living here in New York City, but I am now where I was in the back of a building on the ground floor. It was very quiet. I am now on the sixth floor of a building um, that's much closer to the street side, and you might hear sirens going by or horns blurring just a little bit in the background. Not too bad. It's the new official studios of Daniel Glass Enterprises, you could say. So with that... um, I uh, just wanted to um, I, I, I want to talk today about gear, and the reason why is um, some a gentleman wrote to me uh, maybe a couple of months back, and he said, "You know, I'm really torn between getting a DW kit or a Pearl kit." And, um, you know, basically he was saying, why should I get the DW kit? I love them both, but, you know, you're with DW. And I started thinking about it, and I came up with this kind of elaborate email that I wrote to him about all the reasons why I love DW. And although it sounds kind of maybe tacky or like a commercial or like a sales pitch, I realized that um, I have very, you know, uh, powerful feelings towards the companies that I represent or endorse, whose gear that I play, and I thought I would talk a little bit more about that on today's podcast. Um, We all have reasons why we play what we play, most of us. Maybe some people don't. They just get whatever gear is cheapest or whatever's available. But if you've been playing for a while, as have I, you probably develop an affinity for certain gear, emotional attachment, and so I'd like to share, not, not that I'm trying to convince anybody to use the gear that I use, but I just want to talk about the companies um, and why I play their gear and what it is about their gear that I like, because um, it can get fairly deep. Um, the first thing I'd say before I get too deeply into that conversation is, you know, I guess I'm endorsed by companies and I have had relationships with them for a long time. But uh, I want to just let you know that I don't play a company's gear simply because they endorse me or I endorse them. It's always a little unclear who's endorsing who. I think it's a bit of both. I, I play these companies' gear because I love the gear first and foremost. So any of you out there who are seeking endorsements, I, I always tell people, and that, that's probably a whole other topic for a whole other podcast, and there are a lot of... Uh, various podcasts and and articles and and YouTube rants out there about 
getting endorsements and how you go about it and all that jazz. But I will just say that if you are interested in trying to hunt down an endorsement, um, make sure that you A, play the product, B, are familiar with the product or the product line, and C, that should be your approach to the company. I love your product, not, you know, my band just got signed, so give me free stuff or discounted stuff or whatever. In any case, I'm going to tell you my story, which is circuitous, because when you've been in this industry for a long time, you might endorse different products. Things might come, things might go. Not all companies are around forever. Um, And again, a couple of times the path has been a bit circuitous, but generally um, I, I love the gear that I play, and that is why I work with these companies. Really, in endorsement situation, the way you have to think about it is that you are an ambassador for this company. Um, you are out there trying to share what is great about this product, display what is great about this product, and that is what is going to attract other people to to the particular drum or cymbal or stick or head company. So you have to think about it that way. In any case, let me go back to 1994, because that's where my, of course, my uh, my love of products goes back to when I was a kid. Um, the first drum set I ever had was a, a sonar kit from the 1960s that I got, my parents bought me for a hundred bucks. And I very, one of the greatest stupid, I feel, mistakes I ever made, but made up for, um was that I sold that drum set to buy a new... I can't even believe I'm even saying this. I sold that Sonar drum set to buy a new drum set because I wanted something new. And that new drum set was a CB700 <laughs> drum set, which my bandmates convinced me to buy because it was shiny and new in the store front window. Um, but I've had various drums over the years. When I, when I uh, moved to Boston to go to college, I bought a set of vintage Ludwigs because they were cheap. That was where my love of vintage drums began. And uh, I had I had various drum sets. When I moved to Los Angeles, I brought with me a 1960s Ludwig kit, which I had in Hawaii when I was there the year before I moved to L.A. And I also, probably the first drum set I bought was when I was going to music school, um, or maybe a little bit after, I bought a DW drum set. And DW was a young brand, in Southern California at that time. Uh, And by young, they'd already been around at least 10 years. But they had really only started manufacturing drums in, you know, the previous, I don't know, few years before that decade or so. Before that, they were known for their pedals and hardware. And don't jump down my throat if I get all the dates exactly wrong. I I know that they officially say they started in 72, but I, I don't think they were doing more than pedals at that time if they were even making pedals at that time, because I know Drum Workshop started as a teaching studio of Don Lombardi. Anyway, um, I had this DW drum set, and I had a bunch of other different drum sets, mostly, again, that I got because they were good deals and this and that. Uh, But I began playing with Royal Crown Review, and, of course, because Royal Crown Review was a retro-style band, I had this Blue Sparkle 1960s Ludwig kit that I had um, brought with me from Hawaii. So I began to use that with Royal Crown. And this was now jumping to 1994. Um, 
we played a lot of gigs around Southern California, and I was having a great time being a part of this band. It was a really exciting time. I, you know, I've done a couple of podcasts about Royal Crown Review and the Warp Tour and all that stuff. So things were really happening for this band in the mid '90s, and we played a gig. I can't believe I can't remember if it was Cal State Fullerton or Fullerton College, one of those two, but it was in Fullerton, and we finished the gig. And this woman walked up to me and said, Hi, my name is Jules Thomas, and I am the artist relations uh, director for Drum Workshop, DW. Would you be interested in endorsing our drums? And I didn't even know what to say. I, you know, at that time, as I said, DW was not sort of the epic legendary name that it is today. It was a up-and-coming, small, getting bigger, you know, company. They had some big-name endorsers. Um... But the fact that somebody approached me at a gig and asked me if I wanted an endorsement, you know, I was kind of shocked pleasantly. And without even thinking about it, I just said yes. And I'd had that one DW kit, so I knew about the brand. I really liked it. And um, so thus began my relationship with DW. And Jules, uh, who is at DW, still at DW, she is not the um, artist relations uh, director any longer. Don't go bugging her and trying to get an endorsement deal. Uh, she she was with the company for a number of years and then she left and she uh, she came back as the education director. So she's the, the person sort of in charge of uh, clinics and clinic tours and all that kind of stuff and, and educational outreach at DW. And she's one of the coolest people in the entire industry. Just ask anybody to tell you Jules Thomas is where it's at. So I've known Jules now since 1994 maybe 95, somewhere in there. Um, long time, 25 years. And what I love about DW, um, I've played their drums consistently since then. I, they're in my rider, you know, they're, um, I'm, I'm on tour right now, uh, off and on, on the weekends, usually with the Countess Luann from the Real Housewives. And I have DW in my rider and great drum set after great drum set shows up. They were on my rider when I toured with Royal Crown Review. Uh, when I went out with Brian Setzer, I took my DW Classics kit with me, which is an amazing, uh, amazing piece of machinery. But I just want to say what I love about DW. First of all, you know, a lot of people criticize DW and say that they're overpriced, they're too expensive. Um, that's that's usually the main complaint I hear. Uh, and here's what I want to say about DW and why I love DW. Now, DW was started by Don Lombardi, and uh, I, I know that John Good became his partner somewhere along the way. Again, I don't know the exact history. The two of them run the company. I think now, I don't know if either one of them actually owns the company anymore, but they still both work at DW. Um, Don Lombardi's son, Chris, I know is involved. And they have a very solid group of people that have been there for years, like Jules, who have been there for decades. Um, Scott uh, Donnell, who's the marketing director, uh, Garrison, um, Scott Garrison, who just goes by Garrison, who's the artist relations guy. I could go on and on and name lots of different names. Steve Vega, who also is in our artist relations. And what's cool is that it is a, it's a big company. But it is a family-run company started by the same people or continued to be run by the same people with the same philosophy who started the company. Now, if you look around most drum companies, whether they're, you know, Japanese like Yamaha or uh, German like Sonar or, um, uh, you know, uh, most drum companies, even Ludwig, American companies like Ludwig, 
uh, are part of some larger conglomerate that makes that's either makes many different types of musical instruments or um, is you know uh, run sort of more by by businessmen and this is one arm of that company and what happens when you get into those situations is you know the the the, the care the uh, desire for craftsmanship the um, the drive to um, you know, come up with new inventive, um, you know, new types of gear to, to continue to push the boundaries. It, it either gets diluted or watered down or disappears altogether. And one of the things about DW is that they're relentless innovators. So you've got John Good, who's thinking towards the future. He's the relentless innovator of a lot of their new, most modern kinds of, um, of, of innovations. And then you got Don Lombardi who is thinking more towards the past, who is part of the reason why I've had such a great time at DW, my relationship with Don Lombardi who runs drum channel. He fully backed my century project DVD. He's very much, he was a student of Freddie's, uh, Freddie Gruber. Um, and you know, he, he has a, has a great deal of, uh, faith in the past. And what DW reminds me of are the great American drum companies, um, Sl- Slingerland, Ludwig, uh, uh, Leedy, Gretsch, who, you know, these companies were um, all started by individuals who had this great vision for what the drum set could be, um, were, you know, scrappy. I mean, if you if you know the history of Bud Slingerland and William F. Ludwig, uh, they were rivals, both originally uh, German immigrants. Um, and, uh, I mean, the first generations, but you know, they, they were, these companies were based in Chicago and there, and there were legendary feuds between them in terms of, um, the reason they were all based in Chicago, by the way, and I've talked about this before is because Chicago was a big cow town. It was, it was where all the cattle were brought from all over the Midwest to be slaughtered and then sent to other parts of the country. And as a result of that, that's where all of the animal hide existed. Um, or there was a large plentiful amount of it in Chicago. So, what you would have are these legendary battles every week of the Slingerland guys, you know, and the Ludwig guys going down to the slaughterhouses and who could get the best hide. Because, of course, at that time, the drum companies would manufacture their own uh, drum heads. So it, you know, they cared about innovation, knowing as much as I do about the history and evolution of the drum set. These American companies run by families, you know, that went from gen- were handed down from generation to generation. Um, it's inspiring to see what they were able to do and how so many of the elements of the drum set that we take for granted today, um, how these, where these came from and how they were innovated and how, you know, the... Um, the owners of these companies listened to the drummers, went to the drummers who were working every day to find out what was wrong, what was working, what wasn't working, what they needed, how, you know, dual tension tuning on tom-toms came from Gene Krupa's relationship with Slingerland. Um, There's just so many examples of this. So that's one thing that I really, I feel like DW is kind of, in in many ways, in this this day and age where corporations, um, you know, corporate consolidation is so rampant um, that to have a big enough drum company, but one that is still its entire 
history has been essentially run or guided by the same people is is uh, something wonderful to be a part of. And in that sense, along those lines, I truly believe that DW um, has made incredibly smart choices in terms of their innovations and also in terms of how they've operated their business. And I guess what I mean by this is, you know, they, they, every year DW comes out with all kinds of new crazy innovations. Um, some have lasted, some have gone by the wayside. So for, for example, one that has lasted is the, I don't know the official name of it, but the, uh, um, the, the, the part where the symbol sits at the, in the, in, you know, at the top of the symbol stand that you can, you can spin that, you can loosen it with your drum key, spin it so that you can tighten up the symbol from underneath as well as from above with a wing nut. You could tighten or loosen it. And that's an incredible feature that now everybody co- has copied. DW was the first to innovate that. Um, using a uh, kind of a ratchet handle as a way to tighten um, hardware. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was a DW innovation. Um, you know, one innovation that didn't go so well was they made threads that had twice the amount of threading so that, you know, the threads were, were twice as thin so that you could be even more sort of fine tuning in, in how you tuned the drums. So the, the threads would be, you know, there'd be twice as many of them on each tension rod. And that, I had some of those for a while and, and it was just, it was too much. It was too confusing because for me, part of how I tune the drums, I do by ear, I do it by touch, but I also, uh, uh, does it by feel as they say. And, uh, and I couldn't feel what I needed to feel in terms of feeling the the amount of tension on on the tension rod when with those particular uh, tension rods. But smartly, to their credit, they they got rid of it. When we had the huge economic downturn in two thousand eight, um, they introduced the performance series, which was a um, you know a a moderately priced line of drums. Um, a few years before that, they introduced the PDP. Um, per, uh, Pacific Drums and Percussion Series, which was a lower price drum. A lot of those parts and components were made in China. Um, but DW was, was very smart because they didn't dilute the brand. They said, all right, we're going to present a totally new brand that is still has a lot of the DW qualities to it, you know, craftsmanship, but... Uh, we're going to call it something else so that we're not saying this is DW. It's a different brand made by DW that's much cheaper for, you know, often for beginners or students, um, although a lot of pros use PDP as well. Um, and so it's, it's you know, it's it's we're going to separate that. Other companies over the years have introduced bargain rate lines, and then they put their own shield on it, their own brand name. And then people have problems with the bargain rate line and that dilutes the quality or the name of the, of the main line. So PDP, I think was a really smart way to get into the entry level market. Um, and the performance series was a way to respond to the financial crisis of 2008 by introducing a DW line that was affordable and still had, had a few more limited options in terms of, I think, hardware options and, um, finish options that you could get on the drums. Uh, but 
that really revived DW because a lot of people before that had bought the, the highest end, very, very expensive custom line, which were amazing drums, but out of a lot of people's price range. So these kinds of things, I've seen DW do them over the years. Of course, as a vintage you know, guy who has played a lot of vintage drums, I was thrilled when they came out with the classic line of, of, uh, of drums, which was, I don't know, sometime in the early 2000s. My, it's all getting fuzzy now. It's been a lot of years. But that was, for me, the greatest because that, those drums were designed exactly like the old WFLs and Slingerlands from the 40s and 50s. Um, the same construction, the same bearing edges, and they really went all out to capture a lot of those touches. And once again, DW was the first company to actually introduce a retro line of drums. Nobody was really thinking along, the li- on the, along those lines, and now everybody is has put out a, a retro series or whatever. Um, so, you know, then they came out with their jazz series shells, um, and those are very similar to the old classic Gretsch round badges. So I've just been in heaven because, in a way, DW has come over to my world. And I tried for years to kind of tell them that they should do this. So maybe my cajoling had something to do with that. But, um, you know, it's, it's for all these reasons that I, I absolutely love DW. And they're super responsive. By the way, and people think these companies are nameless and faceless and there's no way you can get through. If you have a question about DW, you can call DW and... I'll, I'll put their website or their phone number on the show notes page. You can ask them a question about a part or about an accessory. Do you have anything that's like this kind of an accessory? You can ask them any questions about the drums. If you have a drum that breaks or if something goes wrong with a part that you've got from them, they will, you know, they will at least talk to you about it and chances are more than likely they'll replace it or take care of it. And I defy you to get that kind of service from some of these just huge conglomerate type companies, uh, you, you, you know, it's, you don't get that personalized service. You have to hunt and might take you a couple people to talk to, but I can guarantee you that DW will stand by their product. One other thing that I really love about DW is that they experimented with having some stuff made in China when they, when they created the PDP. They also built an entire factory in Mexico and were taking production down there um, because it would be cheaper, like so many other American companies. And in the end, they figured out a way that it would actually be more cost-effective and they could produce a better product by bringing it all back to the U.S. I think PDPs are still made in China, and they still have some hardware stuff made over there. Um, They definitely still have a connection with the Chinese factory. But, um, you know, and by the way, a, a few years before that, they began to make their own drum shells. When I first got into this business, everybody bought the same shells. They bought them from Keller. Uh, there was maybe one other company. And that, their job was just make generic drum shells. And then all the companies would buy the shells and do whatever they would do to them. Cut the bearing edges, put the finishes on, put the hardware on, etc. But DW started to make their own shells so that they could really control the process. And like I said, the classic line, they, they're they made out of... Uh, um, Oh, now I'm going to forget mahogany and, uh, uh, poplar mahogany on the outside and on the inside and poplar in the middle. And then, uh, the, uh, uh, maple and gum shells that used to be what the Gretsch, um, 
round badges were made out of. So for their jazz and their classic line, they could they could make those and they could experiment and they could you know really keep everything in house. So I've blathered on for like twenty minutes about DW, but I'm just trying to share with you why, you know, I think it is a great bet to get a DW drum set because all of those years of experience of the same people learning, thriving, growing. And by the way, they've also really busted ass to keep the business in California. California is a great state to live in because it's also a very heavily regulated state. They regulate business very heavily, um, but that means better environment and better living standards and keep that beautiful California weather. So DW has struggled mightily, um, and they have done it. They've kept the business in California, supported Southern California economy, kept themselves where they started, uh, didn't go overseas to do their manufacturing. So when people complain about DW, you know, oh, they're overpriced, oh, they're just a big monolith, you know, all that kind of stuff, I just wish people would pull their heads out of their butts for a minute and actually take a look at what a great company DW is and, you know, that's why I love DW, and um, that's all I can say. It's just, it's for me as an, an artist, of course, I can depend on them. I know they're going to be there for me. If I have a question, somebody's going to get back to me. If I need something, if I need support right now, um, and I, I'm going to let this slip right now, which is really exciting, we're putting together a, a jazz intensive in Europe in April of 2020. I'm getting ready to uh, let people know more about it. It's going to be outside Frankfurt in a town called Usthofen, which is about 40 minutes outside Frankfurt at a drum school. Super excited about it. It's just coming together. I don't. It's not finalized yet, so I feel bad about spilling the beans. But um, we always get a lot of Europeans coming over and probably a lot more who would come over to New York if they could afford it. Now we're going to do a jazz intensive right on your doorstep uh, in, the, in the center of Europe, of Western Europe anyway. So I'm, uh, but um, what does this have to do with what I was talking about? Um, oh, well, I'm talking to DW about helping me put together some of the gear for that. And, uh, and they're great. So, um, you know, I, I, what can I say? DW. Um, Let's move on. I want the, the other company I want to talk about because I've been with them the longest is Aquarian. Aquarian is I'm really happy after spending a lot of years kind of being maybe a little bit more on the fringe, um, certainly versus Remo and maybe Evans. I think a lot more people are really discovering Aquarian these days, and I'm really happy about it. And I'll I'll tell you about my relationship with Aquarian. So, um. Again, this goes back to my work with Royal Crown Review, and um, so I'm thinking about vintagey things, and you know, I have um, I'm, I'm trying to get my sound to be as vintage as possible. And somebody mentions to me, "Do you know there's a that this company Aquarian? I'd heard of them, but I didn't really don't know if I knew much about them because at that time, Remo, which you know still is the big dog in the room, and by the way, was until his death run." with an iron fist by Remo Belli, the man who started the company, who, you know, was one of the first to perfect the whole concept of the plastic head. So props to Remo, even though I'm not an endorser. Um, but, you know, there you go, that that history of family-owned, um, you know, great innovator, etc. But Aquarian was started by Roy Burns. And um, I guess I probably found this out along the way. Roy Burns, of course, was one of the great... Uh, legendary 
swing-style drummers. He was a little bit younger than, say, Buddy Rich or Louis Belson, maybe 10 years younger. Unfortunately, we just lost him last year. And Roy was a tremendous drummer, ridiculous hands. I mean, he was right up there with, uh, with, with Louis and Buddy and, and, you know, in that absolute echelon, upper echelon of, 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 of monsters. Um, but he, by the 1980s, by around 19, early 80s, I think, he, was, he had done a lot of clinics. He had been in a lot of bands. He was getting sick and tired of touring. And I think, like many drummers, he was frustrated that he was always waiting for that phone call, and he was at the behest of whoever the band leader was. And he was frustrated as a drummer. I remember I interviewed him quite a few years ago. Um, he didn't like the way drummers were treated. You know, a lot of these complaints that all of us have in terms of how, you know, the drummer is kind of always put into a, a position of, of, you know, supporting. And sometimes we don't get the same support back from the other players in the band. But, um, he decided to create a drumhead company. And obviously he saw an opening in the market or a need that wasn't being met. And again, you know, because Aquarian was started by a drummer who knew drums, uh, he was a great innovator. He created a bunch of amazing, um, I mean, he and the team at Aquarian uh, created a, a bunch of really great innovations, one of which is this, now I'm they're going to kill me because I can't remember, I can't remember any of this stuff. But the 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 system of gluing the head in place around the what they call the the counter hoop no maybe it's the hoop the flesh hoop is what they call it uh the way that the the head has to stick to the hoop so it doesn't pull out of the hoop when you tighten it down right um you had the flesh hoop and the counter hoop the counter hoop is is the hoop we all know that you put on the top at the end it's but the the flesh hoop is and i don't even know if they call it the flesh hoop anymore but they, they call it a flesh hoop because I believe I could be wrong, but the 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 flesh, meaning the the uh, it is the head that they would have to wrap the actual drum head around and get it to bind, so that the head would not pop out when you tight when you tension it down, putting on the counter hoop. If that makes sense. Anyway, that's that's always a problem with making drum heads: is how do you keep the head material from pulling out or separating or cracking or tearing away from the hoop that it's on when you tighten down. The drum, right? You put all that pressure on it. So uh, Roy and the folks at Aquarian came up with a fantastic way to create those. They also, and this is the reason why I became an Aquarian endorser. Somebody said to me, Daniel, you should try Aquarian's, uh, what were called at the time, modern vintage heads. And I said, what's that? And they said, well, they're heads that are designed like calfskin. And they really have that amazing calfskin sound when you put them on a tom, that sort of warm dark, mellow, tubby, you might say, kind of sound that vintage drums had, because vintage drums, of course, used real animal skin, um, heads. So I checked some of these uh, modern vintage heads out, and I fell in love with them. And at some point along the way at a NAMM show, probably, I met Chris Brady. Chris Brady is the artist, the artist, artist, relations director at Aquarian. He's been with Aquarian since before I knew him. I think he came on board in 93 or something, and I came on board in 94, 95. So, you know, like Jules, uh, Thomas at DW, we've all grown up in the industry together, and I just feel so grateful that they're still there, and they're still doing their thing, and they're still supporting me and the other artists. You know, it's, it's amazing. So Chris is the coolest guy, and for years I used the modern vintage heads, and, and for years no one really knew what 
they were, uh, except jazz people. And, you know, I, swing band, jazz band. Uh, it, was, it was players that wanted to get that calfskin sound when you hit them, but also they had a coating on them that sounds amazing with brushes. Amazing. And, of course, nothing will equal real animal skin head, calf head or, you know, uh, whatever the different types of, of, of animal hide they use. But um, these were pretty fantastic. And I couldn't find anything else that was as good as this. So I began to use the product. I met Chris Brady at an AMP show. They signed me up. And um, lo and behold, I'm, I've, you know, over 25 years with Aquarian now as well. And again, I love the product. They're not as big as some of the other companies. They, they can't necessarily support me financially or run as many ads like on clinics, you know, on the big events they'll support, they'll, they'll do some of that. But it, but you know, they're there for me. They've sent heads all over the world for me, um, on very short notice sometimes, which is a lot of, you know, very expensive shipping. And, um, we just have a really great relationship. In fact, Chris, uh, Brady and I have this, we share the same birthday one year apart, but our birthday is both, uh, May 16th. So along with Billy Cobham, by the way. So, uh, ha! I don't know. Anyway, um, so that's Aquarian, and I, I absolutely love their products. And this is another great story. You know, the proof is in the pudding. I took Aquarian out on the road with me with Brian Setzer, and I was told by my drum tech that, you know, um, bring a lot of heads, because the sound man, who was Tom Petty's sound man uh, at the time also, um, you know, he is extremely picky. And, and in that particular organization, it wasn't up to the drummer or the drum tech as to when the heads would be changed. It was up to the sound man. And he would listen at Soundcheck every day, and he would say, got to change the heads. So we're out on this tour. We're going a few weeks. We've changed a few snare heads. But I noticed that my toms haven't been changed. And I asked the tech, I'm like, what's going on? He said, the sound guy loves these so much we ain't touching them. So I think in a seven-week tour, we changed the heads on the toms maybe once. And that's another thing I love about Aquarian is the durability. They are the most durable heads, all of the all of their lines. I mean, I basically use their, uh, their um, I think it's called, uh, God, I'm so bad, satin coated, just the basic coated white. And I use the modern vintage. Uh, on my bass drum, I use, um, I guess I should say what kind of heads I use. Um, I use a combination of the Super Kick 1, which has like a felt ring built into the inside, and on usually on the batter side, and then on the front head, I'll use a Modern Vintage. Tried a lot of different combinations, but those just seem to be the ones that, that I love. I use the Modern Vintage on the Toms. Their Classic Clear Heads are great. I uh, use those on the bottoms, you know, so very traditional setup, of course, because that's, that's me, but, you know... What's happened in the last few years is that they have come up with so many great innovations that tons of the gospel chop guys use their heads a lot, you know, Eric Moore um, and a lot of other dudes, um, a lot of metal guys use their heads. And what's really exciting is that um, I'm going to mention a buddy of mine, Kent Oberly, uh, who is based in Atlanta. Kent helped to innovate and add two other variations of the modern vintage. And one is the modern vintage two, and then there's the deep vintage. And I can't, again, they're going to kill me because I should be, I should have all the specs together. The, and I don't use these. I still just use the regular modern vintage. Uh, but one is, I believe, a two-ply head. I could be wrong. And one is a thicker head. So, um, 
you know, a lot of rock guys now are using the, the MV2s, they call them, and the deep vintage. Uh, because they give you that classic sound and they give you that huge sound. And I, I would, I would suffice to say, I would guess that a lot of drummers are using the DW Jazz Series shells and the, um, and the Aquarian Modern Vintage or Deep Vintage, uh, or MV2s, uh, as a combination because they have that classic sound. And so many drummers want that classic sound, that bottom sound or that, you know, uh, you know, Hal Blaine sound or that Keith Moon sound or that Ringo sound. I mean, that's what, that's what I have. And that's what a lot of, you know, drummers today are seeking. And these products, they, they really have captured the classic vibe. I mean, for me, they go back even, you know, farther to the 1930s big band drummers or the 1940s bebop drummers or the 1950s early rock and roll drummers. But that's what, you know, that was still what was happening when in the sixties and seventies, I mean, things hadn't, progressed all that much from say the mid thirties to the, to the sixties or seventies. Those drums really are very much the same. Hadn't been a lot of like major renovations of the type that happened, say, as we move into the eighties, the eighties really saw, you know, and, and forward saw some new radical changes in how drums were, um, bearing edges were cut and how drum, you know, just a, a lot of different things that power toms, you know, all those kinds of, of, of things. Anyway, not to get too far off track. So, um, I'd also like to talk about Vic Firth. Um, Vic Firth is, what can you say? I mean, it's ridiculous how, again, for those of you that, you know, sadly we lost the, the real Vic Firth just a few years ago and his, um, again, a, a single individual who started a, a drumstick company because he saw, um, a lack in the market. And if we talk about the history of drumsticks for just a second, most of the companies say back in the day, Ludwig, Gretsch, Slingerland, they would manufacture their own drumsticks. And, um, I don't know enough about how they were manufactured. There were a lot of good sticks, but, Quality control was pretty terrible compared to what it is today, and that wasn't necessarily the fault of the stick makers. It's just that they did not have the technology for making sticks that they do today. So, for example, when I was young, a young drummer, really all the way through, I'd say, the 80s, um, you would go to a drum shop, and if it was a good drum shop, first of all, drumsticks did not come in pairs with a nice little, in a nice little plastic bag or with a cardboard thing around them, they came, there was a bin of five A's or, you know, regal tip rocks or whatever. And you would, um, you would grab a bunch of sticks out of the bin and you'd put them on the countertop of the drum shop and you would roll them. And I'm sure plenty of you drummers of my age or older remember doing this very clearly. And you'd have to pick out the ones that were warped, that rolled like a banana, you know, and you'd have to play them so that one stick didn't sound like doop and one stick sound like doop when you played them on a practice pad because they were, the weight was so radically different or the type of wood, you know, that, that they came from maybe one tree or another tree where the density of the wood was completely different. So, you know, you, you had to take a lot of care and time in putting together your sticks to choose because, you know, you could literally hit a drum and if you had two different weight or densities of sticks, it would sound like, you know, it would just sound different. 
So, you know, and if anybody here ever tried to play with a warped stick, it is a horrible experience because the stick does not respond well. And it like, you know, it hurts your hand to play. So Vic Firth, and I'll tell you just a quick story. I, I had the opportunity in the early 90s to go with Vic Firth. Um, and I didn't. And I kind of regret it. But I went with a smaller company because out of, again, love for a product. Um, there was a company back in the day called True Line. And they were a very small company. Uh, I got to know the artist relations guy. And the sticks that they sent me, I just fell in love with. And that was it. I went with them. I went with my heart. Um, and you could probably hear the sirens going by, so sorry for that. Um, but, uh, the other aspect of going with a smaller company is that they made a signature stick for me, which was great. So I had my own signature stick, which is something that I wouldn't have had if I'd started, you know, with Vic Firth. Um, so I was with TrueLine for a number of years and I learned quickly that being with a small company when your career is on the up swing is not easy because smaller companies don't have the ability to support you either sort of financially in clinics uh, or to get enough sticks to you in time if you're using them up quickly and you're on the road, etc., etc. So TrueLine was a wonderful company. They treated me great. And, um, and then, as with a lot of smaller companies, they went out of business. So right as my career was really, you know, starting to peak and um, I had published my first book with Zorro, um, I was without a drumstick company. And in a way, it was sort of the greatest blessing because Zorro was with Vic Firth, and he was very high up on the food chain as one of their top clinicians and a major name in the drumming industry. And Zorro said, Daniel, I'll hook you up. And this was kind of a big honor because Zorro, you know, has a lot of integrity, and he's not going to go to bat for just about anybody um, and make a personal recommendation. You know, you have to really have your act together. And I'm, I'm sort of in the same way now. I've, I've recommended a few different drummers, um, two different companies, but I'm not going to do it unless I really believe in this person and can make, a, a an authentic recommendation because, you know, it's, it's my reputation on the line. If this person turns out to be a douche, so to speak, um, you know, uh, it's going to reflect badly on me. So I, I weigh things before making any recommendations to any of my companies for anybody else. But Zorro went to bat for me, and right on the cusp of the two of us doing a clinic together at the Percussive Art Society Convention in 2009, which celebrated the release of our book, The Commandments of Early Rhythm and Blues Drumming, I got pulled into Vic Firth. And Vic Firth has just been unbelievable to me since then, and I've found tons of sticks, because I think Vic Firth has more models than anybody. So, you know, again, Vic Firth started that company probably in the late 60s or early 70s, and by the 80s, you know, they were a major player in the game, and I'd say today that Vic Firth is probably the biggest drumstick company in the world, and I think deservedly so. You know, they, they, their quality control, first of all, is unmatched, unbelievable. You buy a pair of sticks, it has already been computer weighed, you know, everything's been tested. Um, if you want to say, get a five, a, you can actually get a light or medium or a heavyweight five, a 
that has greater density or it's a heavier part of the wood. I'm not sure which, but it's the same shape as a 5A, but it, you can get um, a heavier version or lighter version. Um, you know, for, for endorsers, uh, they take extremely good care of me. They've been really in my corner since day one. And, um, and I love them. I love them. I love their products. I love the brushes. I love the mallets. I mean, there's just, they've got something for everything that I might need and they've got 25 versions. And I could say, you know, I need something that's kind of like a 5A, but a little longer. And what do you recommend? And they'll, you know, they'll send out, uh, 10 different, uh, models for me to try, you know, which is, which is really cool. And again, I am an artist higher up on the food chain, but it's, it's that kind of, care, attention to detail. They also have a whole education, you know, kind of a wing. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful. And I, and I should give a shout out to Joe Testa, who's been the artist relations guy there. He came in right around the same time that I came in, um, in 2009, uh, 2010. So, you know, again, the two of us kind of came aboard at the same time, which was a, which was a very cool thing. Um, Ben Davies has been there forever. He's in their LA office. And I just feel, very fortunate that these guys return my calls and we can have great discussions about drumsticks. And of course, I've pitched vintage ideas towards them and they came out with a, a kind of a line of uh, uh, sort of modern jazz sticks, um, but based on a lot of different kind of uh, designs that they road tested with a lot of, a, a lot of different players. So anyway, um, the last thing is I, I want to talk about Sabian and I'm Sabian is the newest company that I'm with. Um, and again, I, I feel very honored and privileged that um, I came to Sabian once again when the company that I was with, I was with um, a company called Crescent. And before that, Crescent had actually emerged out of Bosphorus. It's a long, tortured story, so I won't go too deep into it. But I always have loved that Turkish sound. And uh, I got, when Bosphorus first came out, in probably the very late 90s, early 2000s, I started using those symbols and then um, got an endorsement with them. Uh, then Crescent split off from Bosphorus. I went with Crescent. And then Crescent was was bought by Sabian. And I sort of had a decision to make. Was I going to go with Sabian or was I going to go with another company? And I decided to to stay with that um, line and, and went with Sabian. And I've just had the best time with Sabian. Uh, again, Chris Stanky, who's their artist relations guy, has has just welcomed me, uh, treated me with tremendous respect, you know, coming from, uh, you know, a smaller company. Um, they they still make some of the Crescent lines, um, the Stanton Moore and Jeff Hamilton uh, signature series and the Crescent uh, classics. Um, do they make the classics? I know they make the vintage, once again, brain, brain freeze, brain fart. But, um, you know, and what's, what's been great about that is it's opened me up to just the enormous catalog that Sabian has and the enormous organization that they have. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really nice coming from a smaller company where you struggle and hustle and scuffle to, to, um, you know, and, and they're scuffling and, and hustling as well. Um, but to come into such a, a, a giant company as Sabian that has such a, an amazing heritage and tradition and makes such a, an incredible line of products. Um, so, um, you know, 
I, I'm very, I'm very happy. And again, they've, they've taken very good care of me. And at this point I'm, you know, I'm treated with the respect to somebody who's had a fairly successful career for 25 years. And I, I appreciate that greatly, but I will say that it, they are watching all the artists all the time and they want they are all looking for long-term relationships and they know that they can count on me and depend upon me to run my own course, make my own way. Um, just because you get an endorsement doesn't mean you're going to keep an endorsement. Um, they want to see that you're out there working your career and making it happen, especially in today's day and age where we all are our own brand in essence, whether we, <laughs> whether we want to be, or we choose to be or not, we are, that's the story. That's the world we're living in. So anyway, that's, you know, I, I should also honorable mention, um, talk a, a couple of other pieces of gear that I, that I use. One is the head armor bags, um, which again, in the world of bags are just a whole nother step up from anything that came before. And ama amazingly, I was, uh, a head armor cases are, um, are manufactured and distributed by uh, big bang distribution, which is a distributor of many, many different products, but they have certain in-house products that they, um, that they create themselves. And these cases were first brought to my attention by a former student of mine in Southern California, a guy named Jonathan Colwell. And Jonathan, had created a line of bags called Revolution Drum Bags. And they really were a revolution because they're much more heavy duty than any bags that had been around. And I don't know if you, if again, if, if those of you who have been in this industry for a while, remember the kind of bags, drum bags they used to have. They had the, the old fiber cases, and then they also had bags, which were like, kind of like burlap uh, or, you know, army, if you imagine like an army duffel bag, that's sort of what the material was. It was cloth. The zippers were small and likely to fail or strip uh, or rust. The handles on the zippers were tiny. Um, the bags had no padding whatsoever, so if you dropped the bag, you know, there went your drum. Uh, the fiber cases weren't much better, honestly. And what and and honestly, that state of affairs was didn't really change all that much. I mean, you, they would line the bags with fleece, and um, you had sort of uh, I can't remember the you know sort of um, um, vinyl kind of material on the outside, so that at least they were kind of waterproof. You know, if the bag got soaked, your drum wouldn't get ruined. But what what John brought to the scene with these Revolution drum bags was just incredible. The zippers, super heavy duty, massive handles. There was no way your zipper was going to get screwed up. The the vinyl exterior, super hardcore. The, they were almost like had ribbing inside them so that it it really is almost a hard shell case. It's a bag, but it's much more than a than a than a bag. But you have the convenience of a bag if, you know, for example, I live in a one-bedroom apartment in New York City, so having hard shell cases is not, if I have to go on the subway or something, I mean, I would, you know, or throw my stuff in a cab, it wouldn't fit in a cab if it was in a hard shell case. Obviously, if you're on the road touring, then, it, you, you know, you need the, 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 the hard shell cases. But um, anyway, a couple years after he started this company, he was, uh, his company, uh, Revolution, was purchased by Big Bang. And then I got to know the guys at Big Bang. John still works with them. Uh, Bob Kasha, uh, who's the 
the head guy over at Big Bang. Um, Jeff is his second in command. And these guys also do a fantastic job. And these cases, I cannot tell you. It's like having hard shell cases, but the convenience of a bag. I love them. And I enthusiastically endorse them. And then the last product I got to talk about are drum tacks. Um, I, uh, my buddy JC Clifford uh, created a product called drum tacks, uh, which I think also are something of a revolution in the, I guess, uh, he likes to call it sound control industry, not muffling. We're not muffling. We're controlling the sound. So, you know, drum tacks are um, a disc. Um, They look a little like, um, gosh, I don't know. I don't even know how you describe the material. Maybe foam-like. And they have an adhesive side, but it's not the gooey slime of the gel type of products that are out there for, for drum muffling, which shall remain nameless. Um, and what's cool about drum tacks is the, the product is designed in such a way, is, is the material that is used in the creation of these, of these little round discs. They will... It's not as if they adhere through a goo. It's like there's almost like an attraction between... An, sorry, JC, you're going to... I know I'm probably not saying this right, but it's like there's almost an attraction which holds the product onto your drum or your cymbal, and it really holds it there. And then guess what? If you want to take it off, you just peel it off. No residue, no goo, no black sticky marks that you get with, with tape. You know, if you put tape on a cymbal, you always get that, that sticky residue that turns black. Um, the drum tack, and then I think you just rinse it off or you put a little alcohol, rubbing alcohol on it, and it becomes, it, it gets its, its tackiness again, its stickiness, um, or its adhesive quality, let's say that, because it really does adhere. It doesn't just stick. So, for example, when I moved to New York, I met JC at the Drummers Collective, and he was uh, demonstrating, demoing these things. It was some kind of a gathering of a bunch of different small companies, boutique companies, and um, and he showed this to me, and uh, I fell in love with these things, and I use them on my cymbals. I put one on the underside of the bell, underside of the cup. I've had one there literally on a two or three of my cymbals for five years, six years, probably seven years now, never come off. On the underside, it doesn't fall off, and I could peel it off anytime I want, it would come right off. Um, you can cut them in half. So if you want to use them on a snare drum or a tom and you don't want that much, um, tone control, so to speak, uh, you can cut them in half. You can cut them in quarters. You can do all kinds of amazing things. He showed me that if you move the drum tack on the cymbal farther and farther out, it muffles the cymbal more and more. So if you want kind of an effect cymbal that is literally just stick hitting metal and no resonance whatsoever, um, you can put it on the edge of the cymbal underneath. And like I said, put them on top of toms, under toms. I've got them on my toms. They do not come off until you want them to. And when they do, no residue. This is the most fantastic product. And JC and I hit it off so well at that event at the Drummers Collective that we uh, became partners in my Daniel Glass Jazz Intensive. And what I love about JC, he's really got a pioneering go-for-it spirit. He's he's super enthusiastic. I would never cross the man because I would be terrified of what would happen. But if, you know, when you're in, you're in and you're his friend for life. And 
Again, he's, he's an incredible businessman. He's done amazing things, taking drum techs all over the world, distributed all over the world, used by the best drummers in the world. Uh, and he's my partner in the jazz intensive. And we've had very four successful years uh, here in New York, four very successful years. And again, I want to wrap this up by saying that JC brought to the table the European Jazz Intensive, which is happening. Year one is happening next spring of 2020. The proposed dates are April 14th through 18th. So if you're in Europe or you know someone in Europe who is interested in jazz or has wanted to come to the U.S. events, uh, this is now um, going to become a reality. So I'm going to wrap it up there, 55 minutes about gear, but hopefully you, you can understand why my motivation for the gear that I use, why I've developed these relationships with these companies, why their product appeals to me for what it is that I do, uh, and um, how things have evolved. And it's, you know, there's been some ups and downs without a doubt, but I can say that loyalty, smart decision-making, and stick-to-itiveness are what helps, you know, those companies are an integral part of my brand and the growth and development of my brand. And it's, it's, it's been a long and wonderful road. So thank you all for listening. And I hope to see you or speak with you, hear you, you hear me again uh, on another episode of the Daniel Glass Show right here on Drummer's Resource. And make sure to be in touch with me if you have questions, comments, thoughts. Uh, leave a comment on the uh, Drummer's Resource website, on the show notes page. Send me an email, etc., uh, etc. Et Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. Bye.